Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Happy Resurrection Day. We are uh, we're part of something today. Uh, we're joining, partnering with over 2 billion Christians around the planet who recognize this day as the center point of life in, in Jesus. It's the center point of our faith. In fact, God's Word, I don't know if you know this, but God's Word in 1 Corinthians 15, you can go check up on me, um, somewhere around verses 14, 15, 16, but God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus was not actually raised from the dead, then what I'm doing right now, proclaiming his resurrection, all in vain. In fact, it says that your faith, if you have faith in Jesus, useless. 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to tell us that anyone who was a Christian who died, that if the resurrection was not real, then they're still dead in their sin. We're we're just stuck that way forever. It goes on to say that Christians... Of all people, if no resurrection happened, then Christians of all people should be the very most pitied. But I actually want to read to you what it says kind of as a conclusion of those thoughts. Verse 20 says this, but in fact, it's a fact, baby, but in fact, he has been raised from death. He's been raised from the dead. Praise God for that. And friends, that, that statement is ultimately important because it has implications for right now, this moment, and it has implications for all eternity. And it's really what Easter is, is all about. And so I want us to take a look at one of the gospel writers' accounts of that first Easter morning. So if you have your Bible, and you would, open them to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, we're going to be in um, chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 1, says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's actually John writing about himself there, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now that may sound strange that in that moment that this follower of Jesus, their first thought was when they got to the tomb and Jesus' body wasn't there was grave robber. They've taken his body, they've stolen him, we don't know where, they've put him. See, that was kind of the prevailing thought. That, that first Easter morning of, of devoted followers of Jesus, that was their first thought. They weren't thinking resurrection at this point. Keep reading. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. I'm, I'm just curious. I don't imagine that I actually have any official grave robbers in the house. But if you were a grave robber and you were going to take a body out, would you imagine yourself unwrapping the burial cloth? and folding it up neatly and putting it over here on the shelf and running out with a naked body. Well, I mean, that was kind of what they had to be thinking, you know, had happened if they're thinking this is a a grave robber. Let's keep reading. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he, notice this, he saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, John, in that moment, he saw the evidence, and for the very first time, he believed. Up until that point, it said, yet they they hadn't, hadn't believed in the resurrection up until that point. John believed. He saw it. He remembered what Jesus had said, and, and he believed He believed all that information that he heard Jesus teach on. He he believed what he saw, that this pointed to the reality that Christ is risen indeed. He, He believed that. And because Jesus lived, John was able to believe. Now, the question that all of us have to be personally confronted with is, do we or will we? Do we personally, like John, believe the way that John believed. Because, because he lives, will, will you believe? And I want us to just kind of walk through two kind of big thoughts today, big overarching thoughts um, about what it means to believe. First of all, uh, there are some benefits. The Bible says there are some benefits for those who, like John, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And then I want us to think and ask kind of the question, what... What does that kind of belief actually look like? What is, what is this idea of believing? So real quickly, uh, first, th- there are lots of benefits for uh, biblical belief in the resurrection of Jesus. I just want to give you three. Probably will be a bit familiar, but I want us to think about them together for a moment. The first one is this. Because Jesus lives, I can trust Jesus to forgive my past, to forgive my sin. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he paid for our sin. Because he came up out of the grave, was raised from the dead, it proves that he has the power to keep all the promises he's ever made. And one of those was that everything I've ever done wrong in Jesus can be forgiven. Everything that I've ever done wrong, everything that you've ever done wrong can be completely forgiven and you can be completely free. Instantly, the Bible speaks of that in, in, in a moment now, one of the things that um, is, is what I'll call the heavy side of, of being in ministry is you hear people uh, talk about how their struggle with sin, maybe a long time ago, even in the past, continues to wreck and wreak havoc in their life today. They continue to suffer pain. They uh, battle private thoughts, secret thoughts, hidden shame, uh, walk in, in guilt because, because uh, of sin. Because sin brings about heartache. 
And God's plan is to completely forgive you of that and then begin the process of healing you of that shame and that sorrow. Look what Acts chapter 10 verse 43 says. Everyone who believes in him, speaking of Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Romans 3.22 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Isn't that good news? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you did it, no matter how messed up it was, you can receive forgiveness. That's, that's the glory of the gospel. Colossians chapter 2 tells us that we were dead because of our sin and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sin. It says he canceled the record. Not only did he forgive it, he just wiped out the record of, of any sin in your life. He, he just wiped it all out. You can be forgiven. That's what the, the resurrection, a benefit, if you would. A second benefit of believing in the resurrection, you can, because he lives, I can trust Jesus to give me power to manage life in the present. I, I can trust Jesus. When I, when I look at my life and I think I can't do it on my own, I can trust that Jesus, because of the resurrection, because he lives, that he will give, he will give me strength. To, to, to live in my present circumstances when I, when I can't do it on my own. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the 12 Steps program, but the first step in the 12 Steps program is to admit that we are powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been moments in the last 365 days when I felt powerless and felt like my life was unmanageable. Just, I mean, it was being managed by forces external to me. And maybe, maybe you have too. And maybe like me, you kind of, maybe without knowing, you took the first step in the 12-step program and just cried out to God and confessed it and admitted, God, I just feel totally powerless right now. I, I feel like life is unmanageable. I'm worn out by it. But here's the really cool thing. That first step taken in the presence of God, brought to God, is incredibly powerful to bring up about healing. Because when you admit that to God, what you do is you, you're, you're moving to put your trust in him. And the Bible says that those who trust in him, he gives strength. Look at this passage out of Isaiah chapter 40. It says, the Lord is ever, the everlasting God. He does not faint, he doesn't grow weary. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. When you feel stuck, when you feel powerless, you know, maybe there were moments that you have felt in the past 365 days like you didn't know if you could still hang on. When you cry out to God, the Bible says he will give you strength and power. That power is from the same power source that raised Jesus from the dead. Look at this from Ephesians chapter one. Paul writing to the church, he says, I also pray, this is a prayer that Paul's praying. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him, for those who believe Jesus. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. You have access to that. God has plans for your life to be just filled with the power, the resurrection power, the same power. The same power that literally changed the universe. You know, I don't, I don't know if you have felt like over the last 365 days, maybe you needed access to a power like that. You know, when we've been going through this global pandemic, we've needed an outside source of power for our souls. 
when we were struggling through as a nation through all the, the racial unrest and the political unrest and just the, all the sorrow. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know about you specifically, but I have spoken with people who in the tension of all of that cycling and spinning around, I've had some conversations with some people who say, I sure wish I could take back something I typed on the, you know, on social media. I sure wish I hadn't said that to that person. I I sure wish that that hadn't happened. I sure wish I hadn't acted that way because I caused somebody some pain or I I, I wrecked a relationship. But here's, here's the deal with turning those things back over to God. That power that raised Jesus from the dead can start restoring those things. God's power coming to bear on those things can give life there. Those moments when you feel like all you want to do is quit, God can, God can give you power. Paul, continuing to write to the church at Philippi, said that power enables me in Philippians 4 to be able to do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I can face, I can step into it, just anything because he gives supernatural power. See, because he lives, I can have my sins forgiven, my past forgiven. I can have my my present empowered by the miraculous power of God. And a third benefit is this. Because he lives, I can trust Jesus to secure my future. I don't know about you, but in a world that has proven itself to be pretty destructive, I, I I need that knowledge. I need that confidence. I need to hear that, that, that the power of Jesus can secure my future. I said earlier that the, the, the power of the resurrection changed everything, even changed the universe. Did you know that one person being dead for three days and coming out of the grave alive completely destroys the second law of thermodynamics? It wrecks the idea that everything is just disintegrating, falling apart at some level. Because this thing that was dead and decaying and disintegrating came back to life. It changed the entire universe. There's nothing bigger in all of human history than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the really cool thing about the resurrection to me. The resurrection has been able to withstand scrutiny, the kind of scrutiny that would take place in a court of law. And it's done it century after century after century. See, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't just like, just show up to one or two people. He showed up to multiple people in multiple locations. At one point, we know that there was this kind of party for 500 that was there, and Jesus was a part of that. He stayed on earth 40 days after he had been raised from the dead, walking around. It just blows my mind what that, what that would, could, could be like. Now, I'm just going to ask you to use your sanctified imagination for just a second, okay? The Bible doesn't say this, I know it. But could you just imagine if Jesus had been walking around in the streets of Jerusalem and one of the centurions that nailed him to a cross saw him? Or or what if you had been the soldier that took the spear, pierced his, the pericardial sac is really what happened, puncturing the lining around his heart and the Bible says that both blood and water mixed together flowed out, which meant he was clinically dead. His heart had stopped beating. What if you were that soldier 
and you're walking the streets of Jerusalem, and, and there's Jesus. I mean, could you, could you imagine? He, one of the reasons that Christianity exploded so quickly and grew so rapidly was because there were so many eyewitnesses who saw Jesus raised from the dead, saw him die, some saw him buried, and then saw him raised from the dead, proving that he was God, proving that all, that he, all the promises he made are, are, are true, proving that there is life after death, which was something that he promised. In John chapter 11, verses 25, 26, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection. He said, this, this is what I am. He said, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, though he shall live. Do you know why Buddha didn't say that? Do you know why Muhammad didn't say that? Because they weren't God. They never made those kinds of claims. They they never made that because they were not God in the flesh. And this, this is what puts Jesus in a unique position. He was the son of God. And so when Jesus said, hey, I'm the one that's going to get raised from the dead, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the one that raised others from the dead. That's, why, that's one of the reasons that verse, John 3, 16, that so many of us know and love and cling to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who? Soever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We, we love that verse. And in Christ, raised at, at, at Easter, you know, there's a power there. Without that, everything we believe would, would, would just collapse. We'd, we'd have no hope. It, it, would just, it would all fall apart. But because Jesus lives, because he lives, and we can believe in that resurrection, we, we, we can do that. So what, is, what does that look like to have the experience that John had? He examined the evidence and he believed. What does it mean to, to believe? Now, I, I, wanna, I want us to take some time just to think about this today, uh, maybe a little more deeply, because, because of a concern that there are going to be a lot of people who will miss heaven and eternity with God by about 18 inches by about the distance from here to here. Because there is a difference in this belief and this belief. There's a very significant difference in those two kinds of beliefs. John, in that moment, see, John believed that Jesus, you know, existed. John, John believed things about Jesus before he saw the evidence. But in that moment, his belief went from here to here. He was forever changed. It went from just believing facts about Jesus to, to wholeheartedly seeing him as the son of God and being raised from the dead. See, the kind of belief that John experienced was not just mental ascent. It's not just acknowledgement of, of proven facts. It's more than that. Let, let me ask you a question. From what you know, from maybe sermons or Bible studies or reading the Bible yourself, are there going to be demons in heaven? No, it's not a trick question. Go with, your, go with your gut. No, they're not going to be demons in heaven. Well, if, if belief, if, if just simply believing facts about God, why wouldn't they? Because in James chapter 2, the Bible tells us you believe that God is one. I mean, they, this, is, this is deep belief. This is Trinitarian belief. You believe that God is one, you do well. 
Even the demons believe, and they shudder. The, the demons, demons believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. They, they believe, but they don't have the kind of belief that would sell them out to trust totally in him. It's a whole different kind of belief. So what, what does it mean when, when it says John believed? He saw and he, he believed. What exactly is biblical belief? The kind of belief that we see John experiencing. Well, I, I want to use the word trust as an acrostic today to walk us through this. It is trusting. Biblical belief has to do with trusting. The, the, the word that gets translated into our English word as um, belief is from the word pistuo. And it is a word that does have to do with believing, but it's not like you believe a fact. It is like you cling to it for life. You, it is a deep kind of commitment. It is you become, you rely on it. Your, your life re, relies on it. You believe it with not just your mind, but with your whole will and your emotions. You just pour your life into it. It, it comes from more of a personal, intimate knowledge. It's not just knowing in, in your head. Now, it starts there. You gotta know some things in your head to, to move to trust, but then it's gotta move from here to here. So what does it look like? How would you know if, if, you, if it's made that move? Well, a couple of things. The first thing is this. If you're gonna trust, uh, biblically trust, have biblical belief, the first thing that you've gotta do is you've gotta turn everything over to God. You gotta turn everything over, your whole life over to Jesus. That means the good parts, the bad parts, the train-wrecked parts. It means all aspects of your life you, you turn over to Jesus. You turn over your past, your present, your future. You turn over everything to Jesus, what, what you believe about all things. You turn all that over to Jesus, every area of your life. Romans 10.9 is, I think, going to be a very familiar passage to so many of you, but it is one of the most important verses in the Bible. So please just kind of walk into it, maybe with fresh eyes this morning. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's a great promise there. It doesn't say, well, you could start hoping that you would be saved or, or you know, now you can maybe just know as a fact. He's saying, no, you can be absolutely certain. But it starts with confessing with your mouth. Now, here's the deal about confession. True confession doesn't start here. It starts here. It's something that, you have, that has come, become a part of you. It's from your soul. When you truly confess something, you are pulling it some, someplace deep out of you and speaking it. That's what real confession is. You know, yes, you believe in Jesus' physical resurrection. Many people do that. And that's a part of it. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 10 says here, uh, verse 9, but you've got to do more than that. You've got to do this thing where you're confessing that Jesus is Lord, that it is something that has transformed you. Now, there are a lot of people, I think, and the, the scripture warns about people who are going to get to the end of their journey, and they're going to you know, stand before God, and Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. Because they didn't have the kind of faith, trust that we're talking about right now. 
And so we need to understand that when it says that I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord, it's more than just using words. It's words that are deeply rooted in, in, in my very soul. It's not just getting words out of my mouth. Now, confessing Jesus is Lord in our country is kind of hard sometimes because we don't, we don't deal with the whole Lord thing real well, you know. Um, we don't normally walk around and, you know, say, you know, my Lord or my lady. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't operate th- that way in our, in our country. We, we don't have a feudal system with kings and, and you know, all, uh, lords, the, all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes that gets lost on us. But it simply means that to, to, to say Jesus is Lord and make him Lord is he's the boss. He's, he's the, the master. You know, he, he's, he's the, 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 the he, he just becomes all of that for you. If, for instance, if you see somebody riding with a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, Jesus doesn't want to be in control 50% of the time. He, he doesn't want to co-anything. He wants to lead. He wants to be the leader of your life. He wants to be the, the, the Lord of your life. Because he knows that that's the only way you're going to have the best life that he has envisioned for you. is for you to surrender leadership to him. So that T in trust means I turn everything over. The R in trust is this. I begin to rest in Jesus' unconditional love. I rest in the unconditional love of God. When you think of rest, what, what would come to mind as the opposite of rest? Work. You know, work is kind of like the, the opposite of rest. So many people work continuously trying to earn the love of God. You cannot. Now, I will admit that so many of us go after a relationship with God that way because uh, of our past. So often we have been exposed to relationships where the only way to experience love from someone is to earn it, to work hard for it, to fight for it. And so we think that that's the way God operates. But that's a lie. And here's the deal. The the deeper that experience was relationally, let's say it was with a parent or a spouse or maybe a child, you're, you're trying to get love that way, the harder it's going to be to accept that God loves you unconditionally and there's nothing you can do to earn it. Resting in it means that I get to the place where I realize it wasn't conditioned on me, it was conditioned on what Jesus did. See, when you believe biblically, when you trust, you realize that God's gonna love you no matter what. You can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't, there's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. His love is unwavering. It doesn't change. I don't know if you've been in relationships with any people, but it feels like their love for you can rise and fall and rise and fall. That's not God's love. God does not love you that way. And here's the other thing. You can do nothing to make God stop loving you, even though I know some of you have tried really, really hard. You've kind of pushed the edge on that some days. God will never Stop loving you. He loves you fiercely, unconditionally. Listen, listen to how Paul wrote about the love of God in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I am sure. Paul got to this place that he was so confident, he was certain. 
I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. That was just in case you missed it. He was talking about everything. Anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we see the love of God manifest is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what that does, I don't know what that does for you. But I received it as a promise, as a fact, as true. And what that does for me is it gives me great confidence to know that God's love is rooted in Jesus, not in me. Because I can be a big screw-up sometimes. I can mess things up. I can, wreck, I, I, I can do really dumb things sometimes. But I can relax and I can rest and I can trust that God loves me unconditionally. And that gives me incredible confidence. You know what that means? It means that I have met some people, I can't figure out why, but some people who don't necessarily like me too much. Explain it to me one day if you would. You know, I don't, I don't get it. But some people that don't maybe like me too much, but you know what? It doesn't wreck me because I know this. The God of all creation loves me unconditionally. So matter, no matter who doesn't like me, man, I can just, I, that's confidence that, that, that just builds into you. And the other thing here is you, you can never lose this. This is something that will, will never go away. It gives you confidence for just facing this life. Now, we've seen this year, a lot of people kind of put their, their trust in all kinds of other things. People put their trust in their bank account, and we've watched people's bank accounts be wiped out this year. We, we've watched people lose practically everything, and they had put their trust in that. We've seen people at times put their faith in another person and, and lose that person. So you've got to put your, your, your trust, your, your, your hope, in something that you can't lose, and you cannot lose God's love. To believe in Jesus means that you finally are able to rest in that unconditional, unending love. The you in trust is this. I need to unplug my life to serve Jesus. Let me tell you what that means. It, needs to, it means I need to unplug my life from my selfish pursuits in order to serve Jesus. The way that I serve Jesus is the way that Jesus served by serving others. That's what we do is, is we serve. See, Jesus did not come and die to accommodate my self-centered desires. Jesus didn't come and die to, that I could pursue all my self-interest. See, Jesus came to die to set me free to the captivity of thinking it's all about me. And maybe that's why some people don't like me because sometimes I can do that, you know. But so can you. Sometimes we all kind of get stuck in that, that I, me, mine attitude. And Jesus came to root that out of us. And we've got to unplug from that and serve him if we want to really be in trusting relationship. When Romans 6.13 says this, it says, give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you, every part of yourself, you've got to unplug from those selfish desires. For you are back from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his good purposes. See, to give yourself completely over to God means you've got to unplug from those other pursuits and plug yourself into serving God's kingdom, serving God's purposes, and that, that means serving others. Friends, there is, there is nothing 
more rewarding on this planet than getting connected to God and experiencing him inviting you into something he's already doing. It, it may be something as simple as you get this thought to call somebody and you, it just, it burns in you. And so you call them and you just say, hey, you were just on my heart, your mind, I'm praying for you, I just want to check on you. And God, God shows up and does something incredible in that phone conversation. And they're encouraged and you're encouraged. There's this incredible moment in time when you, when you act on those things that you realize, I'm, I'm in partnership with God. I've unplugged, I'm serving, I'm serving God and Jesus by serving others and connecting. And here's what happened. You discover, you discover what you're made for. That you were made for this kind of greatness, this kind of interaction, this kind of partnership with the God of all creation. Because God created you for significance. He created you for something bigger than pursuing your stuff or your power or your pleasure. And that comes as we unplug from those pursuits and start serving the purposes of Jesus. See, you were made for far more than just you. You were made for something incredible. And if we don't engage that, if we don't unplug from ourselves and plug into serving Jesus by serving others, what happens so often is people get to the end of their lives and they, they, they look back on their lives and they kind of end up bitter and bored and beaten, just kind of, just kind of crushed because they realize they missed out on, on so much more that God had planned for them. Listen, listen to this in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, it says, for we are, we are his workmanship. Let me back up. It's not going to come up on the screen, but in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, great passage of Scripture. It says, for by grace have you been saved through faith, not of works, what's any mention of both. So th this is a passage that's kind of tied to your salvation. And then verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You could, you could also understand there, recreated when you came to Christ through salvation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God, God has this... God has these incredible plans for you. He's got this incredible package of, of life for you, and it involves serving others and serving him in the midst of that because you were made for so much more. I, I really do believe that one of the great horrors that so many people are going to find in their life is they're going to get to the end of their life and just realize, I think I was made for so much more. I think I was just made for so much more. See, believing Believing, trusting Jesus means that I, I serve him at that level. The, 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 the S in trust, I, I want to do something before I give it to you. Um, I, I just want you to think with me a little bit about, about Jesus. Jesus came as the perfect son of God. Perfect in every way. Perfect in every thought. Perfect in every word he said. Morally perfect in, in every way which was why he was able to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. It, it took a perfect sacrifice to do that. He was perfect in every way. But let me ask this question. Jesus being perfect, did everybody like him? Were there people that maybe wanted to kill him? There were people who maligned him. There were people who lied about him. There were people who wanted to see him dead. So let's just imagine for a second. If by some chance you could become perfect in every way, I know that's a stretch, but if, let's say you could, would that mean everybody's going to like you? No. 
Even if you could become perfect, not everybody is going to like you. Not everybody, they may, may still be your enemies. See, the, the, the perfect holy son of God was perfect, but people went after him. They misjudged him. They maligned him. They, they lied about him. They wanted him dead. Why? Because evil, evil exists and it hates good. Because darkness exists and it, and it hates light. And see, here's the deal, friends. If you're gonna believe in Jesus, you're going to have some of the same experiences that he had, which means not everybody is going to like you. If you put your trust in Jesus, the S stands for suffer. You will suffer for Jesus' sake. You will suffer for Jesus' glory if you are going to trust in Jesus. If you're gonna believe like John so that it changes your life, there's gonna be suffering that may come. Now, it, for you, it may end up just being more inconvenience or uncomfortable or unpopular, you know? Now, some of you are saying, why do you want to give me bad news on Easter Sunday? Because Jesus was always truthful with those who would follow him. He would say things like, count, count the cost. He would say things, in order to be my disciple, you're going to have to carry a cross. Do you know who were the only people that ever carried a cross? Those who were about to be crucified. Those are the only people that ever picked up a cross. Those who were about to, to, to go through suffering. See, I'm, just, I'm, I'm throwing this out there because I think some of us, some of you may already see suffering's growing for Christians in our country even. Now, it's not new to other people in other parts of the world. You know, it is, and I'm not talking about the kind of suffering that's going on here for Christians. I'm talking about true suffering, persecution unto death. I have two Bible apps on my phone, not Bible apps. I have two apps on my phone, one from the Voice of the Martyrs and um, one from uh, Open Doors. And they, um, I, I get buzzed every now and then when something tragic happens somewhere in the world and somebody is being martyred for their faith or kidnapped and because they're Christians or suffering, burned out or those kinds of things. See, that's been going on for centuries. Christians have suffered for their faith and part of what it means to trust Jesus is to suffer. The apostle John ended up suffering because he believed that way. He, he trusted that way. And so one of the questions that you and I have to ask ourselves is, are we trusting to the point that we would suffer for Jesus? Paul writes to the believers at Philippi and says this, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. See, biblical belief will lead to suffering for his sake, suffering in a way that can bring Jesus glory. It's not going to come up on the screen. You can write it down if you want to. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is talking about what life would look like if you're blessed. And in verse 11, he says this of Matthew 5. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely because of me, because of your love for him. If you're going to trust Jesus biblically, believe biblically, You've got to be willing to suffer for his sake. The last T, the final T in trust is this, is I take 
to heart all that Jesus has said. I take to heart all that Jesus has said. You pick any topic, and you got to take to heart what Jesus has said about it. Now, it starts in your mind, but it's got to move into your heart. It's got to, it's got to become part of a, a conviction. You know, when I, when I come to his word, it's not like suddenly I can do the cafeteria-style thing. Give me a little that. No, I don't want none of that. Give me some of that. You know, give me two of those. Um, a lot of people approach what Jesus has said kind of like going through a cafeteria line. Psalm 33, 4 tells us this. The word of the Lord holds true. And we can trust everything he does. You can trust everything that he says. You can take it to heart. And what that means is you don't, you don't just believe that Jesus is smart enough to know how to get you to heaven when you die. You also believe that Jesus is the smartest person in the room on any subject. Pick it. You know, human anatomy, physiology, psychology, you know, interpersonal relationships, marriage, when life begins, you know, what it means to be created male and female in his image. What are the best investment strategies for your resources? What, how do I think about my sexuality? Jesus is the smartest person. When you take him to heart, all that he says, you believe that he's the smartest person on every topic there is. You, you believe he was at creation making something from nothing, smarter than, than anybody. To take all that Jesus says to heart believes that you move those things that you read in God's word from here to here, that you hear taught from here to here. You take heart. You take it to your heart. You, you pull it in. Now, that always starts where? It has to pass through your mind before it becomes part of your heart. This is where we struggle with being able to take everything to heart that Jesus says. I started to say I'm going to give you a quiz, but I, I can answer your questions for you. I'll just go ahead and tell you what I think you'll say. If I were to ask you, do you believe everything that you read in the newspaper? Do you believe everything that you read on the internet or see on TV or read in a magazine? No, we don't. I think I could answer this for you, most of you in here. Do you believe that every word from the mouth of God is totally true? Well, here's the question. Why do we spend so much more time reading, watching, and listening to things that we don't believe than we do the one thing we say we do believe. We spend exponentially much more time in those other things that we say, I don't believe everything, than we do in the one thing that we say, oh yeah, that's always true. One of the reasons that we have such a hard time with taking the words of Jesus to heart is because we don't let the words of Jesus first get in our head. Trusting Jesus means to take his word to heart, and it means that I've got to engage in the practices that move it from my, my head to my heart. And to do that, I've got to get it in my head first of all. See, it's, it's there. It's there in that moment. As things are moving from my head to my heart, that hope, biblical hope, a hope that's confident, 
in Jesus happens. It's in those heart moments. It's when I take those things to heart. It's hope that can be given. It's, it, it gives supernatural strength. It gives an ability to face global pandemics. It's an ultimate hope that my security eternally is rooted in Jesus and can never be taken from me. It is a confident hope. So how do you get those hopes fulfilled? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? How do we live with that, that great hope that God wants us to have? Last verse, John chapter one, verse 12 says this. But to all who did receive him, speaking about Jesus, receive him, who believed in his name, he, speaking about Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. See, there there there's some activity that happens before anyone can become a child of God. Much of the world wants you to believe everybody that draws breath on the planet is a child of God, and that is not true. They're a creation of God, They're loved by God, they matter to God, but they're not a child of God. You have to be given the right by Jesus to become a child of God. And it says here, there are two things, there are two verbs, two action words here, two things you gotta do. You gotta receive, you gotta believe. Now, a lot of people do the believing part, but the receiving part here that's being spoken of is receiving him as Lord. It's saying, Jesus, I'm I'm. I'm going to believe you this way at this level. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Now, here's what happens when you do. That hope that you see other believers have that you may not have takes off. See, Jesus, Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. And because he lives, he wants to be your living hope. He wants to be hope for you no matter what you face, a living, real hope. I'm gonna ask the worship team, if guys, if y'all would begin making your way down here. We're, we're going to share in a song in a moment and then we're going to do some more worship even after that. And I'm gonna ask you if, if you're going to sing to please wear your mask. It's the way we are trying to protect one another. If you're just gonna stay seated and not sing, feel free to keep your, your mask off. But Part of what it means to, to have Jesus grow hope in you is that he would be your living hope, that you would look at the resurrection and know he's your living hope. And I've asked the worship team to, to, to lead us in a song that's maybe familiar, but maybe instead of participating and singing, you want to just pause for a moment and make sure your hope is secure. Make sure that you are believing biblically. Make sure that, that you are, are trusting, that you're turning everything over to Jesus, that you're resting in God's unconditional love, that you have started this journey to unplug yourself from your selfish pursuits, to, to plug into life serving Jesus, that you are at a place where you have and are willing to suffer for Jesus' sake and that you are taking to heart all that Jesus has said. Pray with me. Father, right now, we just kind of come to this moment, this moment in time where we we have to look into our own lives. And for many here, God, we we have made that decision. We, We believe. We believe facts. Some of them may have even made their way to their heart, but Lord, maybe today you've revealed some place, some space where we're we're just not trusting you. And maybe right now, Lord, we, 
We just want to, to do that work of turning our trust over to you. Maybe for some here today, you've, you've made that decision that Jesus is your Lord, and you just need to recommit to that Lordship today. You re recommit to that level of trust. You can do that right where you're seated. Jesus, we come now because we know, we desperately want, we desire for you to be our living hope. So as we worship, lead us. Come be our leader and our Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.